Hey, everybody. Welcome to the show. Let's get going here, man. This is Jim Minnery with Family Matters. Thanks so much for tuning in. Today, we're going to be talking with my good friend, Mario Bird. Mario is a rock star in terms of being one of the few uh, conservative, active, religious, liberty-minded uh, attorneys willing to stick his neck out there. Uh, he's going to be my my guest for the next or for the final segments of Family Matters today. So you don't want to miss that. Mario Bird is a brilliant mind. I've seen him do some crazy, uh, brilliant things in terms of uh, memorizing speeches uh, and, you know, um, and uh, doing stand up uh, acting uh, at a couple different settings. Uh, anyway, he's a really, really neat guy. He, he practiced law with, uh, Wayne Anthony Ross, uh, for many years, got mentored by him and, uh, his dad, Bob Bird is a friend of mine as well. And he is, uh, um, a retired school teacher. Him and his wife, Rosemary taught school down in, um, in the, on the Kenai Peninsula. Bob Bird now has a, a radio show down there, the Bird's Eye View, uh, and they raised a wonderful kid in Mario. Uh, he's a neat dude, and, and uh, is uh, hopefully we're going to be able to work with him uh, on a number of different issues uh, as his law firm grows and he has the capacity to do so. But we're going to talk to him about the Alaskans uh, for Open Meetings uh, group. Uh, there's just been so many shenanigans that the Anchorage Assembly has uh, unleashed. It's it's truly stunning. Um you know, in terms of uh, the usurpation of their power, um, you know, going back, uh, you know, from when Berkowitz was initially elected uh, to this new mayor, Austin Quinn Davidson. I mean, you know, the, the amount of power that they have to shut down businesses, uh, to take over, I mean, some of the stuff that they've proposed in terms of turning some of these places into um, halfway houses or drug and alcohol places for homeless people um, without public participation. You know, there's uh, there, there's just an amazing amount of um, anxiety and, um, and law-breaking that's going on in the uh, Anchorage Assembly. And we do have some opportunities in the coming months to remove uh, the uh, liberal bend, which is just, you know, it's just amazing to me how much a reflection the Anchorage Assembly is not of Anchorage just because um, people failed to get out and vote. That ultimately is what the case is. People just did not get out and vote. And, and you know, you can look at all the elections. I'd say we're divided, uh, you know, based on what transpired in the um, in the latest general election. Certainly we lost some seats in the Alaska legislature that we weren't anticipating. You know, I can think of uh, Mel Gillis here in South Anchorage who lost to Calvin Schrage. That was unexpected. Um, you know, Lance Pruitt losing by just a, um, you know, a sliver, uh, literally less than 20 votes, I think. Um, I can't remember the exact number, but um, so, yeah, there were some seats that we lost. But if you overall, in fact, I haven't done that. I'd like to at some point is to look at uh, the, the votes cast this last um, this last election. Obviously, it was a massive uh 
um, uptick in terms of who voted. And of course, we're never going to really know that in terms of Dominion software that is under litigation right now um, on a national, federal level, is also the software that we use here in Alaska. Um, So unfortunately, there's this cloud over uh, elections in general. And that's one of the first things that needs to happen is we need to, to clear that up. I mean, you know, I, I'm still praying and hoping and and uh, and looking at some of the stuff that's going on federally. And, and there's hope. There's still hope. There are there always is hope. Um, but really, all we've ever said is that we just want all those the votes that were cast legally to be counted and those votes that uh, were cast illegally to not be counted. It's pretty simple. It's not political. Um, and as far as I can tell, you won't ever get it from the mainstream media because they've refused to talk about anything other than the transition team of uh, President-elect Biden. And, and I I would say uh, supposed uh, are, um, you know, it's just, it's not, it's not a fait accompli, folks. Um, and, you know, you just have to dig around. And unfortunately, nowadays, it's it's more difficult than ever because you can't trust the big tech. You can't trust a lot of the Fortune 500 folks who have allied themselves with the liberal cause. Um, it's just more and more difficult to be able to get um, views that are accurate and that are not massively biased. Even Fox News, as, as most of you probably know, has has become suspect. Um, anyway, so the, the, the national thing is, you know, um, the, the, who is going to be president is obviously on everyone's mind. It's kind of a drain. I, I told my wife that it's, it's kind of like a slow death. Now, I, I don't want to be, uh, you know, burst a balloon or, or, or cast a negative light on this because I am hopeful at some level. I mean, you have to, you know, not put your hope in princes in general. I mean, it's, it's very much disconcerting to think that, uh, that a that Biden and Harris would get in um, because of the shenanigans that took place because of software. I mean, one quote that I heard was a guy at Dominion said, I'm going to do everything in my power using expletives um, to ensure that that Trump doesn't get elected. And this was a top executive at uh, um, Dominion. And, you know, I, I guess, um, you know, they would say, oh, I'll prove that. And then you'd, you'd have to go to all these different web searches. And then who do you know is actually telling the truth? But what we do know is the truth does uh, the, the, the truth never changes in terms of what our foundation and our hope uh, and our trust is in. But uh, and I'm rambling a bit here, but the reality is we don't um, we're not going to probably have the ability in the Anchorage Assembly, at least, or in the Anch- municipality of Anchorage to get a special election. Uh, Mayor Berkowitz, as as you know, um, resigned. Uh, And so Austin Quinn Davidson, even the the, uh, process by which she was appointed to be the interim mayor was was flawed. Um, There's just a a, a ton of stuff going on. And and getting back to what I was saying earlier, as the the largest city by far in the state of Alaska, I mean, we have half the population, uh, nine liberal members and two conservatives on the Anchorage Assembly is not a reflection of who we are as a community, period. Um, we were able to turn that around in, in Fairbanks um, based on some wonderful efforts by pastors up in the Fairbanks area. We got more than 80 churches to distribute our values voter guides, and we basically won every race, not everyone, 
but nearly every race, whether it was school board, the mayor, uh, the Fairbanks North Star Borough, the Fairbanks, uh, the city of Fairbanks assembly, um, it was phenomenal. It was truly phenomenal to see that unfold uh, because of the the engagement of the body of Christ. And that is going to be our number one effort, uh, at least getting out of the gate uh, in uh, 2021, because we have three school board members who are up for election in Anchorage. And of course, we have the mayor. Um, No assembly members are up. But if we get a conservative in the mayor's office, then we can possibly recall some of those members who um, were recalled initially. Um, a while back, and then the municipal attorney, um, you know, pushed that aside basically because she didn't like it, and it, it was it was amazing. It's amazing to see how people are flaunting the law, but that is what we're going to be discussing in a few minutes with my friend uh, Mario Bird. And so, folks, stick around. Thanks so much to Rieger Physical Therapy, RiegerPT.com. That's the place you need to go to take care of your physical therapy needs, folks. We'll be right back with Mario Bird here on Family Matters. Got God bless. When peace like a river hey, welcome back, folks. Jim Minnery with Family Matters. And as I mentioned, I'm very happy to have Mario Bird on the program today. Mario, how are you? I'm doing well. Thanks, Jim. Thanks for having me. Of course. Uh, we always start off with... Uh, a brief introduction, lots of folks that listen to this either in other parts of the state or even other parts of the country um, and at different times in our podcast uh, and on the radio station um, often don't know who the guests are. Sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. So uh, maybe just give folks a, a quick introduction of who Mario Bird is and what brought you to the place where you're at right now. Sure. Um, I'm born and raised in Alaskan. Uh, I was I uh, grew up down on the peninsula. Uh, my father, uh, Bob and Rose, and my mother, Rosemary, were both public school teachers down there, recently retired. Um, I uh, went to law school uh, back in 2009 and have since been practicing law here in Anchorage. Uh, I have a brother who's an attorney in Florida as well, and I live here with my family. Uh, I uh, worked and was worked for and was mentored by Wayne Ross, and I've been practicing on my own for a little over a year now, and um, I represent a, a wide variety of cases, um, and I do what I can to help um, represent plaintiffs who seek religious freedom and also the protection of the family and life. That's amazing. You know, one of my dreams is to have a full-time relig- or, or law practice up here that focuses on nothing but religious liberty type things. I mean, one of the um, one of the things that's common about uh, the Family Policy Council movement is that many of them have uh, staff, uh, council, attorneys full-time on board. Um, and uh, I don't know if we're going to ever get to that place, but certainly we have many opportunities to use the law to advance uh, things that we can't do otherwise. And uh, one of those things that you're working on in particular that I wanted to chat with you about today, among other things, is this whole concept of um, how the Anchorage Assembly has violated um, the open acts um, law. So could you kind of get folks 
um, up to speed on your work with the Alaskans for open meetings and, and kind of, you know, get them uh, familiar with why you formed it and what's happening right now? Sure. So, uh, first of all, what is the Alaskan Open Meetings Act? The Open Meetings Act is just like the 49 other states, Alaska passed Sunshine Laws or Open Meetings Acts. Uh, the first version came out um, right after uh, Alaska was admitted into the Union, but it's been altered a number of times. Um, and our Open Meetings Act is exactly what it sounds like. It's uh, specific statutory provisions that when a public body is meeting, it needs to ensure those meetings are open to the public. Um, what does this have to do with the Assembly's actions? Well, since the Assembly passed uh, a series of health emergency powers back in March, shortly after COVID had appeared in Alaska, um, they've been exercising uh, emergency powers um, through the person of the mayor, um, and it's been continued by the Assembly uh, for, I think we're going on eight, eight months now, maybe nine. Um, so uh, that came to a head, as many people in Anchorage recall, in August when Mayor Berkowitz declared that uh, he was instituting a four-week reset, which essentially shut down indoor gatherings. And, and at that time, it included political expression. Um, I don't think the, the acting mayor's most recent proclamation does. But at that time, in, in July and August, um, Indoor gatherings were limited to 15 people, um, and that effectively closed assembly chambers. This was right in the midst of some very controversial legislation that the assembly was considering. Um, there was the gender therapy ban, which you know, you're very familiar with. There was also the purchase of um, four different uh, properties that was going to be used with CARES Act money. There was the creation of the equity officer. Uh, there was... Um, stuff about the police that didn't end up getting passed, but um, these are the most controversial pieces of legislation, and effectively, uh, Anchorage citizens were not allowed to attend the meetings in person while the Assembly themselves did. So that was what prompted, I think, shortly thereafter, uh, the creation of a nonprofit, uh, Alaskans for Open Meetings, dedicated to ensuring that all government, all governmental bodies within the state follow the law and keep their meetings open to the public. Well, so what is the? Uh, I mean, so you cannot use the the power of the state. I mean, it's kind of like uh, I think your dad wrote recently, uh, Bob Bird in the Watchman, and he has a radio show, folks. If you haven't listened to down in in the Kenai, although you can hear it up here, it's the Bird's Eye View. Um, what station is that on, Mario? I forget. KSRM nine twenty a.m. down in Kenai. Yep, yep, but you can, uh, I think, live stream that as well. But anyway, he wrote an article for the Alaska Watchman recently about this whole concept of the um, of the, the, the Anchorage Assembly choosing to not have a special election uh, regarding the departure of Mayor Berkowitz. And, you know, so it's like the municipal attorney and the Anchorage Assembly are just, uh, what do you know, giving, uh, giving the finger to the law um, and statutes or – not necessarily statutes. And in fact, uh, you know, when when the assembly passes ordinances, is what I, I what I call them, and what I think the, most people are familiar with. They they're not really passing uh, laws necessarily or legislation, are they? I mean, this because these are these are not statutes. These are just municipal 
regulations, codes, or ordinances? What's the difference between a, a statute that has, you know, um, application across the state and uh, an ordinance that the Anchorage Assembly passed? It, it can't be in direct um, defiance or contradiction to a statute, can it? So you're, you're exactly right, Jim. There's some crucial distinctions to make. So the first one is definitely uh, jurisdictionally uh, by way of geography. Uh, all, all that the Anchorage Assembly can do uh, and all that the Anchorage Mayor can do uh, is limited to the geographic boundaries of the municipality of Anchorage, which is pretty broad. I think I remember seeing that um, it might be the biggest municipality in the, in the United States, even bigger than L.A., is that right? Yeah, with with, uh, with geography, there's no doubt. I mean, it's massive. Not the population wise, but I mean, not, in terms yeah, of in, not population wise. Not so, population but, wise, but yeah, in, in influence in terms of the size. Yeah, you're right. But but they're but they're bound by statutes. So they can't be in um, defiance or contradiction to a statute. So one of the things that I've seen take place across the country, and I don't know if it's if how much um, support it's gaining, but there are coalitions across the country that I'm familiar with that are forming or reforming emergency powers acts uh, to better uphold separation of powers, mainly requiring legislative approval to extend those emergency declarations that a lot of these, uh, you know, um, fiefdoms have uh, have popped up across the country, you know, in L.A. and everywhere else where they're just implementing these laws that are not necessarily constitutional. So what can, so ultimately the goal of this open acts um, group, the nonprofit, is to make the assembly adhere to the to the state law. Correct, correct. So yes, and you bring up that second point of uh, distinction between an, uh, a legislative act by a home rule municipality like the municipality of Anchorage and the legislature of the state of Alaska. Uh, there's there's many distinctions. Um, but as as you've noted, a statute essentially um, uh, must be followed by a smaller entity of government. If, if it is duly enacted by the legislature and uh, the governor signs it into law, uh, that that means that a home rule municipality has to has to follow it. And home rule municipalities are defined in statute themselves; they are a creation of statute. Um, there is a a you know a kind of uh, a legal doctrine called uh, preemption, and that that doctrine has appeared in the suit we've we've currently filed against the municipality. Whether and to what extent the uh, statutory interpretations of the state of Alaska, much less the statutes themselves, preempt the um, uh, the claiming of powers uh, and, and certainly the application of those powers by home re- rule municipalities. But ultimately, Jim, uh, it's, this is something that has to be interpreted, and that means that the judiciary is going to be involved. And it sounds like uh, I haven't heard about these other movements throughout the states, but yes, it is a separation of powers issue, both vertically when we talk about local government, state government, federal government, but more importantly, horizontally when we talk about executive, legislative, and uh, the judicial branches. And, and right now, that's where we're at. We're, we've had to take things to the judicial branch because um, – Citizens are not satisfied with the assemblies locking them out and telling them that we don't care much for what you have to say. Well, so if, you know, it's always scary. We'll talk about that in the next segment. But it, it's, uh, it continues to be a frightening thing to uh, to have to rely 
on an impartial judiciary because uh, for the most part that's non-existent um at least in Alaska yeah there are there are there are pockets of um you know strict constructionists or constitutionalists that occupy the judiciary but for the most part um you know the 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 liberal interpretation of the law has been uh, a thorn in the side for uh not just conservatives i mean this is this is not a conservative issue or liberal issue to seek um open you know to seek transparency in the way the government is run on the, on the local level, I mean, you, you, people would be up in arms and uh, off the charts if this was happening in the state legislature. And you know, who knows? Obviously, we don't even know yet if they're going to be meeting in person in the next legislative session. But this is not a political issue um, that many would try to make it. Um, and I just I can't comprehend how the um, the liberal mindset would say, sure, we're okay with uh, not having any say or, or, or ability to give feedback to the Anchorage Assembly on these very critical issues one way or the other, regardless of what your view is on these different issues. So um, anyway, there's lots more to discuss, folks. We're talking with Mario Bird. He's a local attorney and longtime friend of Alaska Family Council and, and, and myself personally. So we'll be right back for the, the next segment. Stick around and uh, thanks for tuning into Family Matters. When peace like a Hey, welcome back. Jim Minnery with Family Matters. We're talking to Mario Bird and uh, this whole concept of how um, blatantly the Anchorage Assembly has really violated the rights of citizens here in Alaska's largest city uh, to be able to engage and to be a part of some of these very controversial um uh, issues that they've been trying to address vis-a-vis COVID and, and taking over buildings um, and turning them into um, homeless shelters, uh, drug rehab places. That that we won't go into great detail because uh, that's a whole other show. But um, you know, we're specifically before uh, the break we were talking about um, the Open Meetings Act and how there's been a nonprofit that's formed. Uh, to hold the Anchorage Assembly accountable to allow uh, Anchorage residents of the municipality to to go in and actually participate. And so it sounds like it's going to go to the Superior Court. Uh, Is that right? It's going to be – is there a hearing that's been set yet? That's correct, yes. So um, this coming Friday at 930, um, myself and Michael Corey on behalf of the uh, Alaskans for Open Meetings uh, will be in Anchorage Superior Court before Judge Una Gonbeer. Um and uh, this is a, a preliminary injunction hearing. Uh, we, we'd like the, the court to step in and um, uh, freeze uh, the enforcement of the things that were passed without public in-person attendance and also uh, to ensure that the same sort of lockout doesn't happen again in the future. So uh, we're looking for an injunction, and then the, the remainder of the case will, will play out uh, over the coming months. Well, it's bizarre, too, because we're, we're, we have this um, unique situation where we're uh, in limbo in terms of a temporary mayor, uh, with Austin Quinn Davidson, uh, which was her the whole concept or the whole process by which uh, she was selected 
um, was bizarre, and and that was a whole other issue. And when when uh, the former mayor Berkowitz had to resign or chose to resign, um, you know that brought in uh, this temporary mayor. That ultimately there should be a special election. And before going into the judiciary and and how that's going to play into this whole thing. Do you have any thoughts on how in the world the municipal attorney and the assembly were, again, able to just blatantly defy um, the law? And I don't know the the specifics of it, but is there not supposed to be a special election when there's a resignation of a sitting mayor? So that's that's a great question. Um, And uh, the municipality, uh, to its credit, drafted a memo shortly before uh, Berkowitz resigned and their interpretation of the charter is that, well, we can't hold the special election any time before uh, 90 days after there's a vacancy, but there's no mandate that we actually hold a special election after those 90 days elapse. And they use as their uh, the basis of their rationale when Mayor Begich resigned when he was elected to the U.S. Senate back in 2009, that the problem with that case in particular is that I think the regular election happened something like 94, 95 days out after he officially resigned, and um, uh, Matt Clayman, as Anchorageites will remember uh, very acutely, uh, took over uh, for a a short amount of time as interim mayor. Um, That's that's not the case here, where 90 days after Mayor Berkowitz's resignation is going to be January, and we're in the midst of what can only be described as the the greatest and most sustained political turmoil in the history of the municipality of Anchorage, where businesses are being summarily shut down and uh, citizens' testimony is uh, was curtailed back in August and we're hoping doesn't happen again. That's one of the reasons why we're in court. Um, but clearly, and I've had people, numerous people call me, how do we sue for a special election? Um, and you know, I've I've looked into it. I'm, a, I'm kind of a... Uh, I don't have a lot of uh, legal ammunition uh, at my disposal, but when I look at the the charter, yeah, I I look at it and I have the same common sense reaction most people do. You don't have a special election provision in there unless you're supposed to have special elections, and we've got a vacancy. (laughs) That means that we should have a special election. I I do think the Assembly is just going to, and with uh, uh, Ms. Vogel, the uh, municipal attorney, who's very accomplished, but I think they're going to uh, defy the will of the people uh, so long as they can get away with it. And, and that's that's why, in our system of government, we should have uh, checks and balances among uh, among the branches of government, locally and and state and federally. Well, so the the reality from what the folks I've been talking to is that we likely will not have that special election, which would have taken place sometime in January. Correct. Um, and there was an article the other day uh, that talked about how you know that's gonna that's gonna help uh, a liberal candidate for mayor uh, Dunbar um, because it'll it'll allow him to kind of hide behind this uh, moderate independent, you know, reasonable, rational candidate that he's claiming to be when in fact he's actually much more radical and much more, uh, I mean, he basically claimed that the entire workings of the Constitution are racist and heinous 
and you know he needs he needs to be exposed. But at the bottom line is that that was one person's uh, take on it was that allow the temporary mayor Austin Quinn Davidson to do her thing, and it's going to be controversial as heck because going into this first quarter of 2021. There's going to be a lot of chaos, like you said, with the shutdowns and and all these things that are taking place. Um, and then uh, the election will then would then take place in uh, in April. Uh, and that's all. That's a whole nother discussion in terms of, OK, well, I, what kind of shot do we have at reclaiming the uh, the conservative mantle, at least in, in terms of the mayor's office? And we have two good conservatives that are up right now, Dave Bronson and, and uh, Mike Robbins, and we'll probably have both of them on this show at some point. Um, and then we have the liberal uh, Forrest uh, or uh, Dunbar. Um, and, and then we have uh, apparently Eric Croft has already um, resigned or, or withdrew. Um, and, and then we have another liberal, Bill Evans, which is a whole other story. But uh, the the point is is that we will probably not, it's not worth uh, it, not likely possible that we'll be able to get that special election which I think would maybe be a help for the conservative movement. Um, oh, although, absolutely. Uh, I mean, how many people in Anchorage that you talk to would love to see a, a mayor vetoing the assembly? I mean, well, but I think that you know, there's also a, a, a point to be made that maybe as Austin Quinn Davidson does her radical sweep in the next couple of months, um, those same people, uh, hopefully, and and we will play a part of that, uh, will be fired up. And by the time April comes around, okay, now you've had three months or more of this radical liberal in the seat of power at uh, the municipality. Now we have an opportunity to replace them. So I'm just trying to look at, you know, glass half full that we still will have a good shot. And we also will have three uh, school board members up for um, election in April as well. And so, um, you know, a lot going on in terms of the municipality of Anchorage, but in terms of a, a broader discussion of the, we only have two and a half minutes here before we get into the final segment, but just wanted to get your initial thoughts and we'll talk about it after the this next break too, but um, on the whole reality of the judicial selection process in Alaska Judicial Council, we've talked about that multiple times on this show, but it's worth noting again because uh, Chief Justice Joel Bolger, who we attempted to take out a couple years back along with Peter Mawson, we didn't have any success with Susan Carney. We've tried it multiple times, actually, um, and we haven't had uh, success in terms of removing those judges or justices, but we have had, I believe, success on educating the public, and it's just this long, slow process of getting people to understand how it is at all – that it's not at all um, aligned with the American foundational – principle of representative democracy. The, the, the folks that are being selected uh, to sit on the judiciary by the Alaska Judicial Council are primarily bar members. Four of them are bar members, the chief justice residing as the tiebreaker, and then three public members. But, um, you know, we there's no doubt that, as we talked about during the break, that the the Alaska Supreme Court just uh, ju Alaska Supreme Court has made it very clear that they have the final say on the issue of uh, the sanctity of life and abortion, 
and that they are the ones who make the final call, regardless of what the people do through their elected officials or through an initiative process. They make the final call, and it's always pro-abortion. Is that right? That they have a perfect record, so far as I can tell, reviewing the cases as an appeals attorney. I, I, I don't see any instance where the Supreme Court came out in favor of uh, an, an initiative that would have defended life and uh, uh, bracketed abortion at all. Yeah, it's 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 bad as it gets, and you know it's very frustrating to say the least that we didn't have success again with Susan Carney. But there's another option, folks. There's actually a couple different options, and we're going to talk about that after this uh, final break. Uh, and we're talking with Mario Bird, a wonderful local attorney that uh, spends time on issues that truly matter to us as a, as a ministry and to you as someone who values uh, um, traditional family values. So stick around, folks. We'll be right back with Mario Bird for the final segment. When peace like a river attendeth my Hey, welcome back. We're on the final segment with Mario Bird here on Family Matters. Remember, you can always um, go to Apple Podcasts or wherever you download your podcasts. And uh, if you're listening on one of the radio stations now, that's wonderful. Uh, but just tell your friends and, and go uh, subscribe to our, our podcast, and you can listen to it at your convenience. Uh, okay, so this final segment, we have about 10 and a half minutes, and uh, I, I really uh, you know, was excited um, to remove Justice Carney, as I've been uh, with every judge that we've tried to remove based on the, the fact that they willingly put themselves in a position uh, to, to be voted on by the people, which is always <clears throat> interesting to me that the folks come out of the woodworks whenever we do it, like they are just, they've been, you know, sucker punched. They can't even comprehend that there's going to be anyone that votes against these wonderful judges if the Alaska Judicial Council approves them and says that they are qualified. The reality is, and we tried to to, to press that fairly hard this last time with uh, Justice Carney, is that the Alaska Constitution was designed such that Every 10 years for Alaska Supreme Court justices and every six years for Superior Court judges, uh, the people have the right to vote in or out a judge based on whatever reason they want. And it necess- the, the, uh, in my view, if the Missouri plan, which is what it's called in, in Alaska, and there's multiple states across the country starting in Missouri – uh, thus, the name of the the program. They, you know, if if it was des- if it was implemented as designed, which is this this uh, quasi political group, in our case, the Alaska Judicial Council, if they simply said, okay, all these people are qualified, then if they, they their job is to make sure they're qualified, then they pass them on to the governor, and then the governor makes the decision. That's not the case. They they have um, used this as uh, an ability to shield themselves from the public and say, okay, we're going to, um, I think what they said in the constitutional convention was the, uh, um, the tallest timber. We're going to advance on to the governor, the tallest timber. So we're going to make the decision behind closed doors 
as to who is most qualified and what do you know. Most of the time, the conservatives, if not all the time, but we have had a few that got through. I mean, Justice uh, Stowers, who just recently resigned, um, was a, a solid constitutional um, uh, conservative. And so I don't know how he got through, to be honest, but um, every once in a while it happens. But it's not at all a reflection of the people. It's a very, very narrow group of people, mainly the bar, who decides. And so we failed at the Supreme Court level to remove Justice Carney, but we have an other, another opportunity next year for, for a state constitutional convention. How does that process play out, and do you think it's a, 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 a wise option for us to pursue in terms of what, why we would do it as an organization, everyone is going to have a different um, take on why they do a constitutional convention. There's going to be people that want to put the PFD in the Constitution. There's going to be people that, that talk about other issues. Um, and we would want to do it so that we can add one single line to the state constitution, which I think six other states have done it. Um, Louisiana is the latest, and that is to add a line basically clarifying that the state constitution has nothing to say about the issue of the of abortion or the funding thereof. Then the, the, the justices have lost their ability to have uh, to tell the public, well, if you read between the lines, if you if you look at the penumbra and all these different bizarre words that they use to to make up stuff that's not there, uh, you you eliminate that possibility from them. And uh, that, to me, is uh, the final thing that I would love to be able to do as, as an organization. I mean, not that we, uh, we would stop, but it, it would be the most important thing I think we could ever do. Do you think that that's a good opportunity, uh, a good strategy, and what's your take on that? Well, let me address the... Uh, constitutional convention question, which is obviously broader than a, a specific constitutional amendment. Um, so, yeah, Jim, you're exactly right. Uh, every 10 years uh, under our state constitution, the lieutenant governor is uh, compelled to put on uh, the general election ballot, shall a, a constitutional convention be called. Um, I note, however, though, and I, you know, I didn't really note this before until I was looking at this before coming on the show, that the legislature can call a constitutional convention at any time as well. Um, I presume that it, all of the, the votes would still be subject to the same uh, rigor, uh, but in essence, if, if there were uh, a majority vote by the legislature to call the constitutional convention, um, I think, at least from the way I'm reading the, the Constitution, that would be a majority vote simply to call it. So... Um, I, I go back to uh, first principles when I think about radical changes to law. And Aquinas wrote this. Um, various Anglo-American scholars have said the same thing when it comes to law. When you change the law, there necessarily results in evil because of the customs that have been established. And that's the whole rationale for stare decisis, right? That's... That is why the, the first reaction, in, in my opinion, of an attorney towards a radical revamping of laws is hesitation because you have to, you have to be able to show there is a greater evil afoot than uh, disturbing our traditions and institutions. And, and, and that's one of the reasons that a lot of people are so upset about the, the open meetings thing. It's, a, it's an institution and a tradition that people get to go there and, and tell the assembly what they have to say. And uh, suddenly for the assembly to um, 
say, no, you can't do that, even though we're meeting in person and we're having our own staff give testimony on these issues. And that's that's wrong. That's but it's but it, people sense it, I think, more uh, easily because it's it's the disruption of of an institution. So that, that's my first reaction to a constitutional convention. Nevertheless, as you have pointed out, uh, when it comes to serious uh, foundational matters, life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness, I mean, that's these are the things that caused our founding fathers to issue the Declaration of Independence. But that was only after a long train of abuses and usurpations. Are we at that point, Jim? I can't say one way or the other, but I can tell you this. The last eight months have rendered this city and our state and and our country into uh, uh, a visage that is becoming unrecognizable. So I think a lot of people are, are getting to that point where they realize we have to we have to make some foundational changes. My job as a member of the bar and as somebody who looks on being an attorney as, as a vocation is you have to do this according to law. Um, and if you if you discard the law, um, then uh, evils will follow that are uncontrollable. Um, one of one of the it's part of the fall of man, right? We're in a fallen world. We have to have laws to bind our our uh, courses of action. And if we don't, if we don't have an agreed upon mode of laws, then then evils will result that are beyond what the what the laws themselves prescribe. So so that's that's my general reaction to the constitutional convention question. Do I think it's necessary? I certainly think it's worthy of discussion um, because we have uh, many people who have pointed out. The, the flaws of the Judicial Council. Uh, John Havelock, former Attorney General, nobody's idea of a conservative, he himself said in his book, uh, Calling for a Constitutional Convention, there's some sense that the Judicial Council process favors not leaders in the bar or the society, but those who keep their nose clean and head down, not necessarily the best minds. I think that's a valid criticism, and I think you saw that with uh, Mr. Clarkson, um, when he applied to be an Alaska Supreme Court justice, um, there, there was there was nobody that had a better uh, handle of the law and had, uh, more consistently represented um, uh, foundational constitutional issues at the court. And yet, why why was his bar survey so markedly lower? Well, um, probably because it was they didn't like his politics, um, and it was because he was prominent. Yeah, that yeah. was that was the absolute reason. I remember thinking very specifically at the time he was on our board, and then he re, uh, resigned because he didn't want to have that, you know, conflict as it were. I guess. Um, but uh, Jeff Feldman, who, as you know, is one of the the top uh, litigators in the state and well respected, complete liberal. Um, couldn't disagree more with Kevin probably on most everything, um, but he testified in support of Kevin at the Jewish Council saying, listen, Kevin and I couldn't agree on anything, but this man is, is eminently qualified. And to his credit, he, he provided that testimony, and yet he, Kevin still didn't get any votes. It was just – it was ridiculous to see that unfold, and the same thing with – with countless others, and so you know that 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 would be one thing for sure that we could adjust and and deal with at a constitutional convention is the judicial selection process. But again, my my primary thing is that we could pass every bill. In fact, we're going to try to do that if we can get these you know folks done Juno to ever organize. We once again have a 
Republican majority, but they, the kids can't play in the sandbox together. So we're going to see how that plays out. And if we do get them organized, and we're going to try to pass laws uh, r- protecting innocent life. Uh, and yet, again, what will happen? The, the, the court will throw it out, as they always do. And so we have to do something to take that away from them because they're usurping their power. And anyway, we're, we've come up on a, on a hard break again here, Mario. You're a good friend. Can't thank you enough for all you do. Blessings to you. And we will be in touch, I'm sure, my friend. God bless you. And, folks, uh, thanks so much for tuning into Family Matters. We'll be back next week. And uh, um, just have a wonderful uh, few days here, and we'll be back in touch. Take care.